this is Delta Ray again for Hacker Free Radio. I thought this would be a fun time to reminisce a bit and tell, you know, my stories about my first times doing, uh, buying a certain computer or having a certain computer experience uh, or technological experience and uh, hopefully hearing some of these stories you'll be uh, able to identify with some of the stories and uh, reminisce on your own experiences because probably a lot of us all have the same feelings about technology and you know we had our, our first moments when we touched a computer and or bought one or uh, wrote our first piece of code um, and so on so I just thought I'd share mine and and uh, maybe other people will do the same. So I'll start out with uh, one of my earliest memories. First time I went to a computer conference. Because it's so early, I can't remember uh, exactly which one was first. There was a computer conference that I remember going to in Chicago that Byte Magazine had a booth at. This was around 1980, 1981. It was when I was really young, and I only have a very vague memory of it. But I remember the Byte Magazine booth, and it was in Chicago at the McCormick Center. My parents and uh, family and I were there just going to museums in Chicago and, and visiting Chicago, and we went to this uh, conference there. Around the same time, uh, there was a computer convention in Fort Wayne at the Fort Wayne Coliseum. It was in like the basement or like an extension of the Coliseum. They basically had a bunch of uh, tables in you know, on the floor. Uh, interestingly enough, there was a Kenny Rogers concert going on at the same time, and I was able to figure out later when approximately that convention was. I think it was in 1982, uh, because I saw somebody who had a Kenny Rogers uh, World Tour concert t-shirt from, that was from 1982, and it showed that Fort Wayne was on the list at the time. So, you know, I, I placed this one approximately 1982, I believe that I saw an Apple Lisa at this convention because I remember seeing something that was like a Mac, but if it was 1982, there wouldn't have been a Mac yet. Um, so I'm guessing that, you know, it was the Lisa environment and the computer because it had a mouse and a desktop. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't 1984 yet. Um, so... There was also like Microsoft Flight Simulator 1.0, or at least something something that looked like Flight Simulator, uh, but it was just with monochrome graphics. That was that's an interesting one to think back to. Uh, they also had you know the all the controllers at the time. Trackballs were popular then. Uh, light pens were being displayed. That was interesting. The first personal computer we had at home was a TRS-80 uh, model, model 3, I think that's what it was called. It was the mini one. It wasn't like the Coco computer or the the one that people often call a Trash 80. It was, it was like a smaller model with like chiclet keyboard uh, type keys. I think that's what people call them. We got it with the RAM expansion in the back, and we had to hook it up to the tape recorder. My brother actually got it as a uh, Christmas gift from my grandmother, and we, you know, made, I think we had a chess program for it or something, and that was a lot of fun back then. It, we didn't seem to really do that much with it. I remember, 
you know, typing in a program from the book that just made it print out numbers from one to infinity or however long it could run until you had to shut it off to go to sleep. The, uh, the first program, I my, my elementary school was actually pretty, it was involved in computers pretty early on. It was an elementary school that was mostly for farm children uh, in a, a small town called Leesburg, Indiana, uh, Leesburg Elementary School. But Leesburg catered to a uh, people who lived around a lake, and a lot of middle-class kids lived around this lake. And so it was a school that was kind of spe- special in that regard. We, you know, it was a school that seemed like it might not have a good budget or might not have good teachers or something, but amazingly, in 1981, it was a school that had a computer in every classroom, and it was a school that had a computer lab and even dedicated time to, like, once a week or twice a week to having kids going down to this computer lab and and playing games and doing a printing program or paint program or sound program or something. You know, probably to the horror of the teachers that were watching, they were always like, oh my gosh, these kids are going to break this stuff. But it was pretty amazing when I think back about it, when I talk to people of the same age group around that time that didn't have that kind of experience when they were younger uh, and didn't have school, you know, didn't go to schools that had so many computers. So uh, it was really quite an amazing school in that regard. And, you know, we played Oregon Trail. I remember in in first grade uh, on the Apple II, that's about all I can think of that we played from then. And in second grade, we had Atari 400 or 800 in the rooms, and um, we each got a chance to write a computer program, um, a computer program that just, like, would play sounds and stuff. And this was 1982, and I had, I had just watched the movie Tron. You know, I was, like, uh, six years old, just watched the movie Tron. I thought it was amazing. I My parents took me to see it, or I probably made them take me to see it about five times at the drive-in. One time, our, our station wagon broke down at the drive-in, even. So I named my program Tron. You know, I stood in front of the class and kind of shamelessly said, I call it Tron. Uh, and it, you know, played some bleep bleep bloops and, and uh, sounds that didn't sound anything like the theme from the movie. Uh, but that's okay. I mean, it you know it introduced us to some of the concepts of programming. That was back when you had you know you use line numbers for your programs. So we would say like go to ten and and so on. And that was a lot of fun. And has you know it's a memory that stuck with me. Probably the uh, the next big memory is getting a Commodore 128 at Target at the Scottsdale Mall in Northern Indiana. I remember almost everything about that day, you know, going into Target, looking at the the different boxes of computers and, and that we needed a 1541 disk drive and we need a, you know, uh, I can't remember the model number of the monitor, 1804 or no. 1080, no, yeah, 1084 monitor, I think, and uh, buying all that and bringing it home, trying to find a place to put it. Amazingly enough, this was 1986, 
And amazingly enough, the power strip that we bought that day, I still am using today in 2010. It is under my desk in my office at Suso. And it is, the, the, the switch on it is slightly cracked. And I, I think it might end up dying in a little bit here. Uh, I might have to give up on it. But it's stainless steel construction has lasted for 24 years and has been hooked up to almost all of my computers that I've ever owned. It's called The Strip. It has a big label on it that just says The Strip, you know, like it's a Broadway show or something. Um, so that, you know, we bought a power strip that day that, that I had no idea was going to go on and, and touch all these computers that I had bought after that. Uh, you know, my dad probably wouldn't have ever thought that something that you... You end up buying like that, ends up going on and on. Who knows how much longer I'll end up using it. Power strips, you know, able to last probably 50 years or something if they're constructed well. So, you know, we, we bring it home and uh, clear off my dad's drafting table. Uh, my dad's a mechanical engineer, so he had a drafting table at home. And uh, we decided to use that, flatten it out, and turn into a computer table and um, bought a, what was it called, star uh, dot matrix printer for it and had to hook that up through a kind of a wacky interface in the back that just had a kind of like a twisted pair of cable, I think, going to it from the, uh, the Commodore 128's expansion interface or something uh, in the back. And that was so cool to have the computer printing on the dot matrix uh, printer going back and forth. It's one of those things, those sounds that you can't get out of your head. You know, you'll, <laughs> whenever you hear one, you immediately know what it is. Like a, uh, uh, the sound of your modem connecting to your ISP or something like that. Unlike a lot of people, you know, looking back, a lot of people who bought Commodore, uh, computers ended up uh, copying the games from their friends and stuff. I did that maybe a little bit, but uh, for the most part, we bought our software that we did. Um, I feel fortunate that I had a kind of a well-off family. Uh, my dad owned a business that did well, and so we could just go in and, and buy games. Um, so that probably, you know, early on, that makes me feel like... Uh, some of the, you know, the feeling that people have around stuff like copy that floppy and copyright protection and, and infringement and stuff like that is they, they feel that it's, you know, the government restricting us and, and telling us what we can do and stuff like that. But I can kind of see it from the other perspective that, you know, the programmers need to get paid and, and everything. Um, at the same time, I, I do agree that they use shady tactics and, and they do stuff that are uh, questionable, you know, at least from the software publisher side, uh, that's, that's really annoying. But I can't say I blame them at the same time. So I can kind of see it from both angles. So, uh, you know, that was mostly a game machine. We probably only used the, uh, the 128 side a little bit uh, just to maybe test out some of its features. Um, we actually, the 128 had the ability to go into what was called uh, CP slash M mode, which I had no idea at the time what that was. You know, uh, my dad 
kind of knew what it was, and he had a friend who came over and who knew what it was. They were trying to teach me some of the CP slash M commands, and I was just like, oh, okay, whatever. You know, this is, uh, this is bonk. I just want to play games or something on this. Having no idea that later I'd be like a, you know, this big Unix system man, and, and it would have actually, uh, been interesting to remember what those cp slash m commands were that we were running and stuff i would have been interested in now uh, but you know when you're a 10 year old kid you're you have different priorities the next major computer purchase uh i remember was getting my amiga that was quite a turning point in my computer learning experience i'd say you know I mean, I'm, I'm sure everybody has a computer that they can remember getting that was like, this is the beginning of the rest of my life or something. You know, this was the computer that, that changed the way I think about computers forever. And for me, that was the Amiga that I got for my birthday in 1990, um, an Amiga 2000. Uh, I had been, you know, asking my parents about it, you know, for... I don't know, several months, a friend of mine had an Amiga 500 and uh, was telling me about it. I, I was the guy who, who was a real nerd about stuff, you know, uh, about computer stuff. And I was collecting all the brochures, going to the stores and, and talking to salesmen and, and trying to figure out, you know, what was it that I wanted to get and, and stuff. And so I remember asking uh, my friend, Tommy Teal, I said, how many megahertz is your Amiga? And him not knowing what the heck I was talking about, you know, he just had an Amiga, probably a game machine or something. He said, yeah, it would megahertz if I threw my Amiga at you. So eventually I was able to get my uh, dad to buy me an Amiga. It may have had something to do with the fact that I actually put a subliminal message in an audio tape and played it while he was sleeping. So who knows? But, um... <laughs> Tactics you have when you're 13 or 14, I guess. Yeah, I was 14. Well, I was 13 when I did that, but, you know, I got on my 14th birthday. We went up to uh, 10X Computer Express. I, I, I'm from Warsaw, Indiana, up in the northern part of Indiana. It's a small town. And we would either go to Fort Wayne or to South Bend for shopping could kind of take our pick depending on which place we thought might have what we want which is kind of nice you know it was, it was kind of a neat town in that regard you were you were within a driving distance of several cities that you could quickly get to without too much hassle so you know if we want to go to Fort Wayne we could go to Computer Corner which is this musky smoky filled computer store that uh, had a mishmash of of like Zenith data systems computers as well as Amiga systems, IBM systems. You know, it, it was it was a pseudo business uh, sales center, um, and they also did computer repair and stuff. And I was, I don't know, that place always kind of gave me the creeps a little bit. Although they had a nice Amiga display, but it was always it always seems like it was filled with smoke and stuff. Probably all of you have been into a computer store like that, especially from the 80s and, 
and early 90s that was like that. We ended up going to uh, 10X Computer Express, which was off Lincoln Highway in, in uh, Mishawaka, which is South Bend area. 10X Computer Express actually had a mail order catalog that reached out to the rest of the world and Probably several people, you know, who are Commodore users are familiar with them a bit. They had, like, stories of different Commodore users and stuff. They had a really nice catalog. But the actual headquarters for it was in Mishawaka, and we could actually drive to it. So they had a small showroom. Uh, At the time, it was out of an old garage, uh, like a mechanics garage or storage garage. Later, they moved to a a better storefront uh, that was off Grape Road, closer to one of the malls. But this time we went in, you know, I had already done quite a bit of research on the Amiga and uh, decided that, you know, I really wanted one and uh, convinced my parents to get me one. I ended up having a, you know, my dad's in talking to salesman and he's not sure whether he wants to buy one for me or not, where it's going to be, you know, too much money. And so I go out to the car and get my mom and get her to come in like, hey, can you, you know, push him over the edge so that you he'll go ahead and buy it. And, you know, sure enough, she comes in and just says magic words. Well, we might as well get one. And so we got one. And uh, pretty soon we discovered what kind of world we were getting into, the uh, the world of expensive computer stuff. You know, it's, it's not just enough to have an Amiga. I mean, you know, it was to some degree, but pretty soon my dad was getting excited about it, and he wanted to buy, like, a, a hard drive, a SCSI hard drive, uh, of all things, which I had didn't even know what a hard drive was at that time. Which, you know, not knowing what that acronym meant, we were like, SCSI, that doesn't sound very good. We get a hard drive the following week for it for like a thousand bucks. You know, we had to spend a thousand bucks for the hard drive controller and a 46 megabyte hard drive, which was kind of sizable at the time. That same year in the one of the larger issues of Computer Shopper, you know, it used to be this big magazine that wouldn't fit on your bookshelf. One of the larger issues of Computer Shopper actually advertised a IBM 4 gigabyte hard drive in 1990. $20,000. <laughs> you know, 4 gigabytes, 20,000 bucks. That was, I think I even had to call to find out the price. It was, you know, they used to always have these pages and pages of, of stuff and they would take, they'd be like, oh, this is $50, this is $100, and for this one, call. You know, it's like, oh, it must be really expensive if you have to call. And uh, probably they just wanted you to, you know, they didn't want to advertise the price because the prices were going down down so fast that by the time it came to print, it would be much lower. So I wonder how many other people, you know, other kids were, like, calling in saying, hey, what's the price of this? Not really intending to buy it, just wanting to know. I used to make a spreadsheet, you know, of, like, the ultimate computer system, and I would keep the prices up to date you know, or something. So I'd call these places. They probably got really tired of, you know, me calling as a kid and being like, hey, how much is the X509 SCSI hard drive with 16 kilobytes of cash? And they're like, oh, no, this kid again, wanting to know the price of something he's not going to buy. He doesn't even own a car. Can't even drive yet. Probably after that, besides talking about just buying computers, I'd want to talk about the first time I hacked a computer. I don't really remember quite the first time I started using a modem. I mean, I I vaguely do, but I don't know. For some reason, that didn't stick in my memory as well. I remember borrowing a 150 or 300 baud modem for my Commodore 128 from a friend of mine and dialing into it. And that was was interesting. 
but for some reason, the 2400 baud mod that we bought for the Amiga didn't stick in my mind as well. Although, you know, I, I remember using it, I just don't remember the first time. I would call the BBSs, and this guy that I knew uh, in my business class when I was a freshman in high school, he also had an Amiga, Amiga 500, and we decided that we were going to start a BBS of our own. He was like an only child, and I think he was only living with his mom or something at the time. So he had a bit of independence as to what he could do, and uh, his mom actually let him buy a second phone line for his house so that he could run the BBS like 24 hours a day. And one of the, you know, I became like a co-sys of of this BBS back when I was 15 and um, we were trying to get up and going and, and probably nobody that was dialing into it realized that it was run by a couple of 15 year olds there you know we were, we were I think we even had some uh, nudie pictures up on it and stuff probably all that was illegal for us to be putting up there I have no idea now but uh, it was called Amiga Online pretty simple name and we were really excited about it used Skynet BBS or something like that. Something that he had bought up the street at some consulting business. So I started, I started, we started sending emails back and forth on this BBS, you know, little messages to each other. And I would send them off to like uh, other people who were signing in. And I would sign my name at the end. I'd say, Cosis Off Amiga Online. And Chad, the guy who I ran, the who ran the BBS, he didn't like it that I was like putting signatures in my messages, like at the bottom of my emails and putting like co-sys up and stuff like that. You know, it's our first drama working together with a group of people and, and you get a little bit of drama. And so he actually kicked me off and, and kicked me out of, uh, out of the BBS because I was putting email signatures. And ironically, 10 years later, I, I wrote a program that made random signatures <laughs> for emails. So uh, he kicks me off, but I remember while I still had administrative rights to the BBS, I had gone to his profile page, and the profile pages, if you were an administrator, you could actually see the password for each user, like the clear text password. It didn't encrypt it or anything. So his password was just DDD, you know, three Ds. Pretty simple. <laughs> I can't remember what mine was. I think something like uh, Cinnamon Cats or something. Uh, I'll let you look up what cinnamon cats were. It's kind of hard to find out about cinnamon cats and what the relevance was to the Amiga for that. But uh, I think that was my password or something. I don't use that anymore. So he kicks me off, and he was in ski club. And we started really, you know, not getting along after that. We we keep, we became like frenemies, you know, or whatever. Uh, and we wouldn't talk to each other. We were like high school enemies or whatever you had back then and my group of friends and his group of friends didn't hang out anymore uh we did have a couple that were like you know bridging bridging the gap and we could you know see what each other's group was doing so i found out that he was going on a ski trip one weekend and one of my buddies came over to my house and we logged into his bbs with his password and so i i ended up formatting his hard drive <laughs> it the BBS system allowed you to actually drop down to a shell in the Amiga uh, OS, and I could just type in format uh, HD zero colon or something like that, whatever the syntax was for the for the Amiga device 
syntax. I think it was, you said HD0 colon to indicate the hard drive. So I ended up formatting his hard drive. And I think in, in his pride, he didn't admit that that's what actually happened to his BBS. And he said, oh, I wanted to shut it off or something like that. I felt, you know, I mean, it was, it seemed cool at the time and being a teenager, you know, you get kind of rebellious, you do really stupid things. And uh, that was, that was the only time I've ever really hacked something and, and did something that was malicious. And I learned my lesson that it's, you know, it's not nice for the receiving end. And I felt really bad about it later. I ended up hooking up with him on Facebook and apologizing to him for it, saying that, you know, all that time after that, I felt bad about doing it. And uh, he he was okay with it, actually. He, he said uh, it was kind of fun, you know, remembering those times and everything. And uh, he didn't really have too much of a problem with it or anything. I, I wasn't sure ever how much of a, if it caused many other issues or, you know, uh, if he lost any important data. But it wasn't a good thing to do. But, you know, I, I thought I'd share that story so you can... Maybe you have some other story that you can relate to it with, or if you're a malicious hacker, you might take that to heart and realize that it's it's not always nice, and there's always somebody on the receiving end of your damage, either a, a sysadmin that's having to pull their hair out, dealing with the, the issues that you're inflicting. So I'll end there. You know, those are the major ones that I have memory of uh, from my early computing times. See you next time. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All Binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.